the same five people I have on the leaderboard are the same five people who have been there the past six months. Wow. And it's because they don't take things personally. They understand that the conversation isn't about them, right? And if they are, you know, maybe having an off day, they're not taking it as a validation that they don't know what they're doing. What they're saying is, hey, you know what? I trust the process. I trust my skills. I trust my confidence. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because I know it's worked. Welcome to the Closers Network Podcast, where we show you what's possible when you make a decision to join the remote sales revolution. This podcast is for you if you are currently trying to break into a lucrative remote closing opportunity, or if you want the resources to massively increase your monthly commissions. The e-learning space is an estimated $400 billion, and there are more than 250 million creators online and growing every day. We believe those who get into remote sales now will be massively rewarded in the future. If you're ready to explode your remote sales career and land better opportunities, join us for free at theclosersnetwork.com. Sit back and enjoy. All right, what's up, everybody? Uh, in the studio, we have an absolute badass today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, everyone. My name's Trish. I am one of the directors of sales uh, for One Call Closers. I've been in the high-ticket industry for 10 years and just uh, excited to share whatever you guys want to know about. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Well, for, for the listeners today, why don't you tell us how Trish got started in high-ticket sales? Oh, you know, the funny thing is it was by complete accident. Mm. Complete accident. So um, I've been in sales for a long time. I've done like a combination of like retail sales and then like car sales and like mobile phone sales. And then um, there was just a point in time where I realized I was like, man, you know what? I don't really know if I want to be in sales anymore. It was such a, like a cutthroat community. You know, people weren't really supportive of like their team members. And, you know, it was really good money at the time because I was like 20 years old, you know, <laughs> yeah. so 20 years old making like $4,500 a month. I was like, oh yeah, this is great. This is it. <laughs> you know, but then um, I think as time went on and as uh, as my goals in life started to, to get more serious, I was like, man, you know, like I, I really don't want to feel like I'm just like going to work to make a paycheck and then coming home and then hoping I have enough energy for the next day. So I decided to take a break. You know, mm. I took a break. I didn't work for like two months, and I just wanted to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and I actually came across an ad from a company called Fit Body Boot Camp. Okay. And okay. The ad uh, was for a receptionist position. So I was like, you know what? Like, let me just go apply for this receptionist position. Let me, uh, you know, and you know, I'd been into fitness and like health and nutrition. So I was like, you know, that sounds good. I was picturing some type of. Um, you know, some type of gym that I answer phones for and like set appointments and just have interactions with clients and things like that. Mm -hmm. So little did I know when I walk into my interview that it's actually Fit Body Bootcamp, the franchise headquarters, right? Mm. And at the time, uh, the gentleman who interviewed me said, hey, listen, like I saw your resume and I don't necessarily, I think you're a little bit overqualified for a receptionist. <laughs> you might, you know, we have a sales position here. Like, is that something you'd consider? And I said, well, you know, I'm not really sure if I want to continue my, my part in sales, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy to check it out, happy to see what opportunities there are. Because I had never even heard of franchise sales. I didn't mm. know the difference between, like, a license or a franchise at the time, right? And obviously, it's a very big difference. Big time. So I made it through a two-step interview process. And then my last interview was the CEO and founder of Fitbody Bootcamp, which is Bedros Koulian. And it was me and another gentleman, so we were competing for the role. <laughs> when I called to check in about the interview afterwards... Um, it turns out that Bedros actually didn't want to hire me. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that part. Yeah, he didn't want to hire me. Huh? He didn't do you know I, why? He said I, he said I, he uh, he didn't think I could do it. 
Really? Yeah, he said it because, and and to be honest, you have have to understand too, like I'm coming in, I'm young. I'm thinking that, man, you know, I'm pretty good sales. I can make a lot of money. Um, You know, like, let me just, I wasn't really taking it seriously. I wasn't like wanting the position. And I think Badgers could sense that. Right? Mm. So much of our beliefs and so much of our tonality translate through what we do. Mm-hmm. And I think he could sense that. Like, it wasn't something that I wanted to do. So he's like, no, I don't want to hire her. Mm. Right? And then out of spite, I'm like, well, now I want to do this. Put a chip on your shoulder? Yeah, I put a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I'm like, what? Because I didn't know who Badger was. I had no idea that he had, like, a multi-million following. And I had no idea that he was just, like, this, like the Tony Robbins of the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. Right? No idea who he was. And it wasn't until after I was hired that... Um, I realized who he was. And I was like, oh shit, he's kind of a, he's kind of like a celebrity. Oops. You know, <laughs> like I wouldn't have known, you know, like I, this is like back in um, like 2015 ish, like early 2015. So they were still at their older headquarters, which was like a three room thing. They, we, they crammed like 30 people in there. So I'm like thinking this is like a tiny little business, you know, but little, little did I know it's one of the fastest growing fitness franchises in the world mm-hmm. at the time, Inc. 5000 and everything. Right. So, um, yeah, Bedros hired me on, and then I was doing appointment setting. That role, you had to appointment set for yourself and carry the, uh, you know, carry the sale all the way through. And he only wanted to limit me to appointment setting because, again, he didn't think I could do it. Mm. So, you know, chip on shoulder that I had, I did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Trish way. Yeah. And, uh, and what I realized, too, is that it, it, that was such a, a huge change for me, not just in high ticket, but also just in sales in general and my perception of sales because – I realize I realize that there's definitely a different side to it when you're having quality conversations and you're offering something that you believe in and you get the opportunity to have somebody that you've sold something to say thank you Trish like you changed my life mm. right mm. I still have a lot of thank you cards a lot of the gifts like really thoughtful gifts some of my clients have sent me because um, you know is 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 my pleasure to see them going from some nine to five job that they don't want to work anymore or struggling as a personal trainer to opening up one, two, three, four, five fitness franchises and completely changing their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, I had very small part of the process for me. You know, the sales process lasts anywhere between two weeks to six months, depending on financing. But um, for the most part, like I still keep in contact with a lot of them. And you know, that's what kind of really sparked my passion in high ticket sales, but also uh, realizing that conviction is is really kind of out of the heart of it. You know. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Do you feel like, so it sounds like, hey, you went to a, a, a sale that was much more impactful, right? Where you can change people's lives. Do you feel like coming from the different sales that you did, retail, car, um, that some of that translated over? Or did you sort of like have to restart all over again with the perspective of which you're selling now? You know what? Um, I think the only thing that was kind of really missing was the scarcity. Mm. Right? Because that's the thing. You know, I think a lot of amateur closers out there will use scarcity as a tactic. Oh, there's limited spots or there's, um, you know, there's a discount that's only going to last till tomorrow. And what happens when you do that is it, you're, you're externally motivating people and what people buy, of course. Like that's how most of the online consumer uh, commerce is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when you get to high ticket sales, you really kind of tap into human behavior. You can tap into how to internally motivate somebody. And that was something that was new to me, mm. right? Because in car sales, it was more of like, like, hey, you know, this car may not be here tomorrow, you know, and right. someone may or may not be worried about that. Um, with phone sales, it's like, hey, you're going to get a free Apple Watch if you upgrade your line today, mm-hmm. you know, but it has to be at the time of purchase, mm-hmm. you know. So there was all these different external factors I would heavily, heavily use in those lines uh, or the, in those industries, pardon me. Um, but when I got into high ticket sales, I was like, man, can I close using scarcity? Of course. Is it going to allow me to uh, really be successful, though, right, and breach that next echelon? No. 
You know, so I had to learn to really um, hone my own skills uh, to get past some of those like more shallow tools. Got yeah. it. Got it for sure. Do you remember what you did with your first check? Well, my first check, I paid off a bunch of debt. Mm. Dude, like, so I was like early 20s when I got into, because I've been in high ticket sales for 10 years now, right? So I was in my early 20s when I got into high ticket sales. And I, gosh, story of like every girl's life, right? Like you're dating this loser boy and you look back and you're like, oh no, it's like that sixth grade thing that you did and. You know, when you're younger, you look back and it's that secondhand embarrassment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I dated a guy who just wasn't a very good person at the time. I'm hoping he's, you know, evolved since then. But um, he had no job. Uh, he wasn't going to school. Um, and he racked up like $14,000 on my credit cards. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And shame on me, you know, because I didn't nip that in the bud. Like, I was too like, oh, I'm going to be your savior. I'm going to help you. You were you sugar know? mama. I was basically, I was sugar. I was a broke-ass sugar mama. <laughs> you know, like, there was a point, like, during that time um, where I uh, I was actually minus $400 in my bank, my bank account, my bank checkings account. And when I had called, because I knew I was going to get direct deposited, when I called the bank to try to get, you know, some help or maybe kind of portion it out or something like that, because I was alone. You know, my parents, like, they weren't in a position to help me. So it was kind of like me figuring it out on my own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I called the bank and the bank teller felt so sorry for me. He waived all the fees. <laughs> and I'm the only story I know like that. I don't know any anybody else that's like had a bank teller actually waive fees for them. But he felt wow. so bad for me that he waived the fees. So that's what I did. You know, I did it to pay off um, debt that ultimately was my fault. You know, I had to take responsibility that I even let that happen. But that was the first thing I did. What I did with my my next paychecks that actually I could be intentional with instead of trying to claw myself out of a hole. Once I was done, because I was able to pay off my debt in like uh, four months after mm-hmm. doing high ticket closing, getting good at it or getting better at it. Um, I started putting away money to buy my mom a house. And you did that? I did. Yeah. It that's took me awesome. a year and a half and I, I bought her a house. That's incredible. That's incredible. What I want to really talk about next is, you know, we have a lot of people that see the high ticket space, right? They want a remote job. They want to free up their time. They want to have a bigger impact. It might not even necessarily be the money, right? It might just be, I want more freedom. I want to be able to take my kids to school. I want to have these luxuries, right? Mm -hmm. But they're fearful of a transition into the space. What would you tell our listener that has been maybe scoping out the high ticket business, wants to make a transition, or even someone maybe who's in the space, has been in the space for the last year or two, but doesn't have a job that they quite have the ability to make the income or the freedom that they want, and and they're just fearful to make a transition into something else. Like, what would what a type of advice would you give that person? I don't I don't know that it would be a short piece of advice. It would probably be just me lending my perception on on what that would look like. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about why you're ever afraid of transition or why why you're ever afraid of trying something new, it's because you know typically you're afraid of um, not meeting your own expectations or you're afraid of like the worst possible thing in your mind that could happen. Right. So. Um, an example, let's say that you have a comfy W-2 job in sales, benefits, um, time off, pay time off, all that fun stuff. And you're thinking, man, you know what? Uh, I'm making really good income. But the thing is, I don't want to have to keep asking permission every time I want to go back to Georgia to visit my parents. Right. right. Or I don't want to have to uh, ask my boss for a raise the next time I feel like I'm doing a really good job. Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes people don't even get that. Right. right. If you don't trust the process and trust your own skills to make that step forward, you're only going to increase your anxiety. Mm. You know, anxiety is always just kind of that, um, anxiety is just that fear of the unknown and your pre- the prediction of something bad that hasn't happened yet. 
Right. And the only thing that really is going to leave that, uh, leave that, alleviate that anxiety is motion. So you have to move forward. If you're thinking about joining the high ticket space, or you're just thinking about transitioning into any direction that you're more passionate about, or will offer you more freedoms, option, and choice, you have to get yourself out of your own way. Your limiting beliefs are probably the the most underserving thing that you can do for yourself. Um, because whatever belief you hold about yourself, like you're going to find the evidence to support it. So if you think you can do it, you can do it. If you can't, then you're going to be predisposed to defeat and you're going to end up right where you are the first time around. Mm-hmm. You know? That's a hundred percent. Yeah. I've, I found that to be true for, for my own life. So th- there's a lot of value in that. Um, that being said, what, what should, what can, closers do to improve their skill sets as they're maybe looking to make that transition? Are there any resources for them out there where they can potentially join a community and be a part of where they can improve these skill sets and get better uh, at just not only sales, but just also becoming the best version of themselves and, and take that and bring it into the, their next transition. Yeah. Well, you know, that, and that's kind of the exciting thing about sales, right? Because anything that you do to hone your skills in sales that just bleeds into every other area of your life. Like the way that I see it, the better closer that you are, the better communicator that you That's are. That's right. Right? Because think about it. You got to practice your active listening skills. You have to be able to read the room. You have to really dial in your emotional intelligence. Exactly. You have to be able to phrase and sear people in a, in a clear, concise, succinct way, um, really to get to a single, you know, single point outcome. Right? And we do that all the time in the relationships with our children, with our spouses, um, but, you know, not just our prospects. Right? So... What I would say is that if you're looking to kind of hone your skills, whether you're looking to break into the industry or just refine the ones that you have, um, we do have a, a school network, you know, through the One Call Closers that, you know, I'm really privileged to be a coach and be a part of. Um, and we have, you know, I think a little over 4,600 members right now and growing faster and faster every day where um, you're able to kind of learn every single part about how to dominate the high ticket uh, sales space. The last part about that is really just finding an offer that you feel convicted about, you know, something mm-hmm. that you can enjoy, have fun with, and at the same time, um, you know, make more money. Right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. Does Trish have a favorite closing line? Favorite closing line? Mm-hmm. Oh. It's gonna be a weird or a favorite one. way to close. <laughs> it's going to be a weird one. I want to hear or it. Or a weird line okay. right, that I say? Yeah. Go eat something delicious. Go eat something delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. I used to end all of my uh, all of my closes like that. Even if I was selling for real estate investing, if I was selling for digital marketing, affiliate marketing, fitness. Because, um, you know, it's one of those things where you take payment and then you got to leave the call. Right? And I was like, well, it's kind of awkward if I just took $10,000 from them and I'm like, bye. Yeah. You know? Um, and I don't want to string it on. Right. So what I'll say is, hey, you know, these are your next steps and, you know, you're going to be in great hands. Um, in the meantime, listen, it was great to meet you. You know, I'm so excited for your journey ahead. You know, enjoy the rest of your day. Go eat something delicious. And, you know, we'll talk soon. And they, you know, they all give me the reaction that you just gave me. And it's, it, it leaves us on a nice positive note. And, and I want them to feel that positivity at the end of it. You know? Yeah, for sure. And on that note, have you ever sold anybody and regretted it? <sighs> yes. Tell yeah. us about it. Because... Um, <laughs> he, um, he was interesting, you know, he was interesting. He, um, he, you know, that saying where if you're a millionaire, you don't have to tell anybody you're a millionaire. Right. Right. If you're a king, you don't have to tell anybody you're a king. You're just a king. Mm-hmm. He, he, he told everybody he was a king. Does that make <laughs> sense? And I remember thinking that like, man, like this person, like, he, I don't necessarily think he has like the, uh, the, uh, how do I call it? Discipline to get what he wants out of this, you know, even though the program itself made it fairly easy. 
Um, and that could be another thing we can talk about as far as like conviction into your program, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, this guy, I wasn't so sure about him. So what I did, and it wasn't that I regretted it afterwards. Um, I basically, I could feel that I was going to regret it if I didn't, if I didn't qualify him harder. Right. So I did everything to, I did, I did my best to almost make him not want to join the program. But he just kept reeling himself back in. Yeah, exactly. And at that point, like, I can't play God. You know, that's mm-hmm. not my role. I'm, I'm here to be an assistant buyer. I'm here to be a friend. I'm here to be, you know, uh, like, a, like an advocate for them. So I did everything I could to qualify him and give him the worst case scenarios uh, against the best case scenarios. And he really, really wanted to do it. And I said, okay, you know, I laid out everything that I needed to do to make me, make me feel good about it. So yep. after that, um, I had no problems. You know, at the end of the day, I just want to be able to sleep at night. And, and it sounds like you were very convicted in the product that you were selling at the time. Oh, a hundred percent. Cause like, I was more worried about like what a monster he would be to the coaches, mm. you know, like I was just really worried about how he would handle. Cause there, there's a difference between, um, wanting to learn something and make it easier for yourself than having somebody do the work for you and have it handed to you, you know, cause nothing in life comes free like that. Right. For sure. You got to put some form of sweat equity. And I was worried about that with him because he seemed very, um, not entitled, but there's a different word for it. Uh, so I was worried about that. So I did qualify him quite a bit. For sure. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Now on, on that note again, what would you do like when a prospect like is not ready right now, but you know that this person <clears throat> needs that product more than anyone else you've talked to? Well, and, and that's the thing, right? Because um, if they if they need it, Right, and they feel like they're not ready. They're holding a belief that isn't serving them. So mm. I'm a big believer in closing that I can't. I can't break beliefs. I can't block their beliefs either. What I can do, however, is I can shift their belief. Right. Right. So that's really my goal. Is that hey, if I feel like I'm not ready, but I need this, that they're contradicting each other. Mm. Right. And at the end of the day, no one's ever going to be as motivated as they are on that first thirty minutes with me. You know? Interesting. So it's really, really up to me to um, to help them again shift their belief. Where, you know, if they feel like they're not ready, okay, what about it? What's going on is making them feel like they're not ready, right? A lot of the time, again, it's just that fear of transition that we talked about earlier, yeah. right? Yeah. Or it could be uncertainty in the outcome because maybe they've been burned a few times in the past. Sure. So um, it, when it, when it comes down to it, I'm going to be their best resource when it comes to making a confident decision. So I don't care if the answer is no, and I don't care if it's yes. What I do care is that it's a decision. Yeah, not indecision, because that's a decision too, right? Exactly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Awesome. What is Trisha's (laughs) sales superpower? Sales superpower? You know, I think I'm really good at having um, prospects have fun with me. Mm. You know, no matter how crabby they are, how much sales resistance they come into the call with, um, I typically have a a good way of being able to to get them to, to break down that barrier and just really be interested in, in what they have to say and have fun in the process with me so that way they don't feel like they're just a number, another number on my calendar. Yeah. How, how do you go deeper? Like, especially if you talk to someone that is maybe having a hard time sharing certain things with you or they're not opening up enough, like what would you, what would you say or how would you be able to connect with this person more to get them to open up a little bit more? Because you do a really good job of that. Like you just said, and I've seen a lot of your calls. I mean, you just freaking crush it. And like yeah. any persona, any character that comes on the phone, like you can you can connect with that person. What can someone do to go a little bit more like deeper in that sense? You know, it's it's really kind of um, being consistent with with your own energy, actually. Mm. It has nothing to do about manipulating them, right? Because that's the thing. If somebody, if somebody is naturally like monotone or somebody is naturally like just low energy, like that's not my fault. You know, I don't need to adjust myself in any way. 
Um, there, there are some sales tactics out there that, you know, I'm sure work, right? They've never worked for me. And for the closest I've coached, it doesn't really work for yeah, them. Yeah. Where like the idea is, hey, you have to mirror the person, match their tonality, match their, you know, master body movements. And like for me, I just feel like that's so counterintuitive because if there's somebody who isn't internally motivated, you're dragging down your energy. And when you have to drag down your energy, you're less certain, you're less convicted, you're, you're less excited about what you have to offer. And if you're not excited, why, why should they be? Right. 1000%. I just yeah. got off of a call earlier today with um, with someone on the team and, you know, they got on the phone, their first call and they were like, man, you know, I'm lost right now. I need I need your perspective. I need your thoughts. Help me out here. And they were just telling me like the lady just had really low energy and mm. was giving one word answers and they couldn't quite get him to crack open. Yeah. And immediately I said, well, man, like, did, did you confront him about it? Like, did you were you honest with them about where they're at right now and the, the the aura of which they showed up on the call with. And they were like, well, no, I didn't. And I was like, did you have high energy? Did you try to lift them energy mm-hmm. up? Oh, well, no, I didn't. Like, and yeah, I, I'm not a big believer in the mirror and matching thing myself. Cause like, to your point is like, I'm, I'm, I want to bring them up and I know I can do that. Yeah. Right. And I want to give them also hope um, and just show them like it is possible. So I love instilling belief right in people. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's that's the way I like doing it. Exactly. But, yeah. yeah, no, and I think that's exactly what you should do, right? Again, it's not your fault as somebody, because you don't know what kind of day they had. You don't know what's on their mind. That's fine, right? Life um, shows up. Yeah, but this these next 30 minutes, like, that's ours. You know, mm-hmm. that's ours. We're going to do something with those 30 minutes, whether you like it or not. That's right. You know? That's right. I love that. I love that. <laughs> God, so much value in what uh, she's preaching right now. Um, you have a couple different hats I think you wear, right? Mm-hmm. And so with that being said, we have a lot of people that reach out to us and they're like, man, I wanna become a part of One Call Closers. I'm in mm-hmm. the school network. Mm-hmm. You guys are doing so much in here. There's so much value. Monday through Friday, live coaching calls. Um, at the same token, you help bring some of these folks into our network, right? Into One Call Closers. Mm-hmm. What are some of the qualities or characteristics that you look for or value the most in people when you yourself are building a team and you're hiring? What are the qualities that I look for in building a team? You know, so so this is the thing. Um, when because I'm really I'm really privileged. You know, I, I have the ability to um, to help other closers like reach a higher level of success. Um, I also have the ability to offer them certain opportunities that might help them get there. Um, when it comes down to the qualities, and I tell them this all the time, that aside from the sales experience that we're looking for, I'm really looking for people who exhibit the same qualities that I see separate my top producers from the average producers. And what that really kind of comes down to is um, is how resourceful they are. It comes down to how coachable they are, of course. And then it also comes down to how high their adversity quotient is. What do you mean by that? Right? For so, someone out there that doesn't know. Yeah, so high adversity, because we all heard about like emotional intelligence, emotional quotients, all that stuff. But um, adversity quotient is another metric that you can kind of measure within yourself. And it's it's how high your tolerance is for adversity, okay? Because with high ticket closing, especially when you're doing remote high ticket closing, this is one of the highest paying gigs in the world. Like mm. if you do this right, you're actually getting paid more than a doctor does per hour. And you can do it working less than 20 hours a week. Right, it's which crazy. is like mind blowing. Yeah. That's the thing. But with every profession, obviously, there's there's some, you know, there's some uh, some risk involved, right? And the risk of that is, hey, you know, um, sometimes you're going to have a no show. Sometimes you're going to have a call that you felt really was going to close, and all of a sudden they do a 180, and they're like, you know what? I'm going to think about it. No, I don't want to do it. I need to talk to my wife. Blech, and they hang up on you, mm-hmm. right? 
And there, there's two types of people that I typically see. You know, there's the ones who really kind of take that personally, you know, take that personally, take it to heart, and it just ruins the rest of their day. Mm-hmm. Ruins the rest of the day. They can't close the door after that, right? And I get it because it's human, right? And so much of what we do is personal, and, and we have these deeper, meaningful, you know, conversations. But they take it so personally, they can't let go of it. And then if it continues, and they don't close for two or three days, guess what happens? Now they're they're turning their eyes inward, and they're saying, "Man, like maybe that's something I'm doing that's wrong, mm. you know? So let me let me see what I can fix." And they start to go and change things. And inadvertently, what they're doing is all the things that are changing are the things that they should have been doing in the first place that worked out well for them all the other times, mm-hmm. right? So when I have my top producers, they're the ones who are most consistent. They're the, like the same five people I have on the leaderboard are the same five people who have been there the past six months. Wow. And it's because they don't take things personally. They understand that the conversation isn't about them, right? And if they are, you know, maybe having an off day, they're not taking it as a validation that they don't know what they're doing. What they're saying is, hey, you know what? I trust the process. I trust my skills. I trust my confidence. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because I know it's worked. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll take the evidence from the 100 people that they've closed in the past 30 days versus the evidence from the two people they couldn't close yesterday. For sure. For sure. Do, do you think there's something that someone can do? Let's just say they got off of that call you're talking about where they thought they had it. They knew this was the one. They felt really good about it. But that 180 happened. Is there anything they can do right after that call before they jump on the next one to change their their, their state? Mm, no, to kind of wipe the clean slate? Yes. Um, well, the way that I used to think about it, it's kind of weird. But this is the way I used to think about it because I used to get some really um, spicy people. Yeah. You know, depending on the offer I was on, they'd be real spicy, you know, and maybe I wasn't in a spicy mood. Um, but it was one of those things where it's like, you know, Mikey, listen, like, let's say you didn't know me, right? And I, I come into this room with you, we're in a waiting room, and, you know, we're waiting to see something else or whatever it is. We just happen to be in the same vicinity, you know, life brought us together. And I just turn over to you right now and I say, you know what, dude, I don't like your blue shirt. Right. Mm-hmm. And you might think, oh, that's kind of rude, you know, or I don't really appreciate that comment or whatever it is. Right. But if you look down, what color is your shirt? White. Yeah. So why do you care if I don't like your blue shirt? You're not wearing a blue shirt. Mm. Mm. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So don't take things personally. You know, yeah. people can say all uh, things all they want. They can react in a certain way. Um, there is a balance, though. You do want to take some responsibility and probably review that call. You know, yeah. look at that call and say, hey, you know, where do I think I lost or where could I have done better? But there is a balance where it's like, don't take it personally. You're not wearing a blue shirt. Don't worry about it. Uh, but on the other hand, like take responsibility and say, hey, you know what? Maybe there was something that I could have done and maybe I was being a little bit too pushy or um, not hearing, you know, what that person had to say. Right. For sure. That's it. Great. You do such an exceptional job reviewing someone's call without even having to listen to the entire call and just with a few snippets or minutes, like, you know, exactly what went wrong. What are the things that you look for in a call to know like, Hey, this, this was the thing that you could have done better if you're reviewing a call for someone and giving feedback. You know, the funny thing is most people, when they want to call review, they always want to go to the end. They always want to go to the end when the objection <laughs> handling started and they're like, trash, where did I go wrong here? <laughs> and, and and I can understand it because it's like, oh, you know, everything was yes, 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 yes up until then. And so obviously that's going to draw their focus, draw their attention. Um, most of the time, what we end up having to go back to is the discovery, mm-hmm. you know, because if you really think about it, that's all the discovery is, you know. So discovery is your person is at point A and they want to be at point B. Right. Right. Your discovery is really gauging how quickly they are willing to move from point A to B. Yep. 
Make sense? Yep. So that's kind of what I look for. So I look for, okay, do we have a good enough understanding of where they are for point B, uh, point A, you know? And then on the flip side, do we have a good understanding of what point B looks like? Did we ask enough questions to develop the urgency and the internal motivation that we need to determine the speed at which they walk from point A to B? Mm-hmm. You know? So. God, man, there's so much value in that. You guys better be taking notes over there. <laughs> Shit. Oh, damn. That's good. That's awesome, Trish. Thank you so much. Um, guys, I want to thank Trish for coming out today. It's been an absolute honor and pleasure to have her on. She's an absolute badass, and she crushes everything that she touches and does. And if you guys want to see Trish weekly, join the Closers Network in school. Um, you can just Google it. There's going to be a link below right here, the video. So you can also just click the link, get into school network. It's completely free, guys. We have training that we do Monday through Friday, right? Five days a week, live training along with the community um, in there that's very resourceful. So I would strongly, strongly encourage you guys to like and subscribe to the podcast and join the Closers Network in school. Trish, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate you. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. Awesome. Peace.